Well, hey, good morning, Plum Creek. Good to see you guys. And we are in the third week of our series called Next Steps. And the idea behind this series is really pretty simple. We're praying that every single person here, including me, will do three things. Number one, you'll see where you are in life from God's perspective. Number two, you'll see where God wants you to go from here. And then number three, you'll start moving in that direction. And we say it all the time around here, everyone has a next step to take closer to Jesus. And if you don't know what yours is, we want to help you identify that step and then take it. We're in this together. So if you've been here at Plum Creek the last couple of weeks, you know that we've spent a good bit of time looking at a map. And the map is on stage here. We've set up this whole stage as a map of your journey with Jesus over, de- over here we have a door that symbolizes the beginning of a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And we use this symbol of a door because Jesus used that terminology. He said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So in other words, if you want to get to God, you have to go through Jesus to surrender your life to him, to become his disciple. Now, we know that many people are still on the other side of this door because they haven't given their life to Jesus yet. And we know that people come here to Plum Creek all the time, and they are on the other side of this door. And if that's you, and I want to let you know, you are welcome here. Uh, We we want you to, to be here as you figure out where you stand with all of this. But over the past two weeks, we talked about what happens when a person decides to follow Jesus. We mentioned several steps that are associated with walking through this door. And the main thing you're doing here is you're putting your faith or your trust in Jesus. And in the Bible, we see certain steps that demonstrate that your faith is for real, that it's genuine. These steps include belief in Jesus, confessing Him as your Lord, your Master, repenting or turning away from your old life, and then being baptized into Christ. And once you begin this journey, you start to move toward this destination over here on the other side of the stage. And the cross represents our destination because we're moving in the direction of Jesus. And when we said there are really two goals that we're moving toward over here. You remember what those were? If you've been here, uh, this is kind of a pop quiz. We said two things, a long-term goal and a short-term goal. So see if you can remember. The long-term goal is to be what? Be with Jesus. Now that only happens when this life is over and you get to spend eternity with Christ in heaven. But then there's also a short-term goal and that is to be like Jesus. Now that happens right here in the middle, between the door and the cross. That happens as you surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, and He changes you to be more like Jesus, to speak and to act and even to think like Him. So this entire middle section of the map is about that short-term goal, learning to be like Jesus. And so all through here, God God is calling His followers to take that next step, Two weeks ago, we laid out seven specific steps that are associated with growing disciples. They were to worship regularly, to connect with God, to live differently, 
to do life together, to give generously and to serve others, and then finally to reach out to your one. Now, at any given time here at Plum Creek, we may focus on any of the goals that I just mentioned, any of those steps. For, for example, last week we spent some time on that step of doing life together. We talked about building a strong support team that will encourage you in your faith and help you make progress. Um, we began sign-ups for life groups last Sunday, and sign-ups will continue for a couple weeks here. But today we're focusing on step number six there, serving others. This is a topic we hit on repeatedly at our church, and that's intentional for a couple of reasons. First, it was extremely important to Jesus that we do this, that we serve others. But then second, we have to keep coming back to this because there's a part in each of us that really doesn't want to serve others. We don't always like serving because it takes time and we're very protective of our time. Serving others can also be uncomfortable. And it often means that we have to swallow our pride. So in certain situations, we may try to opt out. But remember, we talked about the difference between a true disciple of Jesus and a cultural Christian. There's a big difference between those two. With, with a cultural Christian, it, it's kind of just in name only. It might be something that you inherited from your family. Yeah, sure, I'm a Christian. But a, a true disciple is someone who is learning the art of self-denial, to deny yourself and do what Jesus wants, not just what you feel like doing all the time. So as we travel on this path between the door and the cross, God challenges us in many ways, but one of the big challenges is to exercise our unselfish muscle. And serving others is one of the best ways to get that exercise. Now, this morning, we're not going to look at this topic in theoretical terms. We're going to get very specific and very practical. But first, we need to lay some groundwork. We need to go back to Jesus and see what his original intentions were. When we read through the Bible, we see that Jesus taught his followers to take on the identity of a servant. But then he also set the example for that. When Jesus was speaking with his disciples, he, he was explaining why he came to earth in the first place. And he says in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, for even the Son of Man, he's referring to himself here, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, this is an amazing example that Jesus set because he didn't have to do this. He didn't have to come here and serve others. I mean, Jesus is far and away the most significant, the most powerful, the most important person to ever walk this earth. So uh, he could have come and asserted his authority. He could have demanded that everyone bow down to worship him, wait on him hand and foot. And, and listen, it would not have been wrong for Jesus to do that. That would have been entirely appropriate because he deserved that kind of treatment. But because of God's love for us, Jesus came to serve. Jesus came to this world on a rescue mission to find lost people. People who had been separated from God because of their own sin. People like you and me. So Jesus came to serve us. He laid down his life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty 
for our sins. That's how he offered us forgiveness and salvation and eternal life. Jesus did this amazing thing for all of us, but that wasn't supposed to be the end of it. He had a plan that his followers would pick up where he left off and live out that example of humble service. Look at Philippians chapter 2, where we read these instructions for followers of Jesus. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So, think about this. Think about this example that we're supposed to follow. For Jesus, serving wasn't that one-time event of going to the cross. That was huge, but that wasn't the extent of it. Serving was a habit for Jesus. It was an everyday practice. On, on an average day, you'd see Jesus showing love to outcasts, reaching out and touching the untouchable. He, he, he would kneel down with a basin and a towel and wash the filthy feet of his disciples. For Jesus, serving was not just an occasional activity, it was an identity. That's the real challenge for us. Occasional serving, it's not that difficult. We don't mind serving when it's convenient or when we know that we'll be recognized or thanked or when we like the people we're serving. But taking on this identity of a servant, that's not a part-time enterprise. That's who you are all day, every day. I heard a story that illustrates what this looks like. And the story involves two people that you may have heard of. One is Rick Warren, the pastor of Saddleback Church in Southern California and the author of The Purpose Driven Life. The other person in this story is Dan Cathy, the CEO of Chick-fil-A. Well, apparently, a couple of years ago, Chick-fil-A was building a new restaurant in Southern California, not far from Saddleback Church. So Dan Cathy and Rick Warren, they met up and they stopped at the construction site for a little tour. Afterwards, they, they both were hungry, and since the Chick-fil-A wasn't open yet, they had to find somewhere to eat. So they went next door to Taco Bell. Now, Rick and Dan were both dirty and sweaty from the tour, so they stopped in to kind of clean up in the bathroom a little bit before they went to order their food. But when Dan finished washing his hands, Rick saw him pull out some extra paper towels and then Dan started cleaning each of the sinks in that bathroom, in the Taco Bell bathroom. That's Chick-fil-A's competition. So why would he do that? Rick pointed this out to Dan, and he got an interesting response. Dan said, Rick, we teach our staff to always leave any place they are better than it was when they found it, whether that's our place or not. Now, you know what that is? That's taking the very nature of a servant. That's, that's letting servanthood become your identity wherever you are, whoever you happen to be with. And that's the kind of example that we're called to follow. Disciples of Jesus constantly look for ways to serve, whether you're at home or at work or at school or at church. Now, before I say anything else, I want to make sure I don't mislead anyone here. Anytime I talk about serving or doing good in general, 
It's possible that some will hear that and assume that we're trying to earn God's approval. Uh, But let's be clear, we don't serve as a way to earn our salvation or keep our salvation. We serve as a response to our salvation. It's a way to say thank you for what Jesus has already done. That's how grace works. With grace, God gives us what we don't deserve. And then, if we've truly been changed by His love, we're naturally looking for ways to express our gratitude. And that's why we follow the example of Jesus. It's an expression of love, thankfulness. Not, it's not trying to be good enough, trying to make the cut to get into heaven. Jesus is the one who makes us good enough. So then we're learning to live up to that through the power of the Holy Spirit. But I'm not saying that it's easy. When we start down this path, when we come through this door, our unselfish muscle is not as strong as our selfish muscle. Our selfish muscle, muscle is, is pretty well developed. That's what comes naturally. And that means we run into all kinds of problems caused by the selfishness that's inside us that hasn't been killed off yet. And these problems inevitably creep into the church setting. Because yeah, sure, in theory... We all love each other here, and everyone is serving, doing exactly what God has called us to do. But in practice, it is hard to build a church where everyone is happily serving and doing their part. Too often, you'll find people who feel overworked. They're they're doing more than their share of serving, and then they start to resent it. But then others feel kind of bored Because they're really not doing much to serve. And let me tell you, when your main role is that of a spectator or or just a consumer, and it's very easy to get negative and critical. But you know, none of this is anything new. These problems showed up pretty early on in the history of the church. Now last week, we looked at that one paragraph in Acts chapter 2 the one where the early Christians were all together and they shared everything in common. There was this general atmosphere of love and servanthood. And and there was this harmonious period that lasted, I don't know, maybe a few weeks, (laughs) a few months. If you flip over from Acts chapter 2 over to chapter 6, you start to see some cracks developing in this community. You see that the early church, they had to deal with some issues just like the church still has issues today. But what we see in the early church is that leaders developed systems to make sure people were serving and being served. Let's look at what was going on. Here's what we read in Acts chapter 6, starting with verse 1. It says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So let's back up and get a little context here. The church had seen this explosive growth starting from day one when Peter got up in the city of Jerusalem and preached this powerful sermon and thousands of people gave their lives to Jesus. They stepped through this door. They got baptized. It was exciting to see God working. But those original apostles, you know, many of them had been fishermen and, you know, they they didn't have experience leading a large organization. So they made a very common mistake. In this church of thousands of people, 
they tried to do too much themselves. And there was no way they could meet all the needs around them. So that's what's happening in this verse. There were widows who counted on benevolence for their survival. Because women of that time, they didn't have many options to support themselves. So if they had been married, but then they lost their husband, it was tough to get by. However, the situation was not equal for all widows in this infant church. We see two separate groups here, the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews. And you know the difference between those two? The Hellenistic Jews were not from Jerusalem or Judah. They were foreigners. They were outsiders. They spoke Greek. They probably looked a little different. Now, even though they were Jews who had committed their lives to Jesus, they were not a part of the inner circle. The Hebraic Jews were the insiders. They were the the ones who grew up closer to Jerusalem, closer to the temple, the center of all Jewish life. They were more likely to speak a language called Aramaic, not Greek. So there's a, a cultural divide between these two groups. And I'm sure you can figure this out. Which category do you think the apostles fell into? The Hellenistic Jews or the Hebraic Jews? Well, they were Hebraic, of course. And here they are trying to lead this large church. I'm sure they wanted all the widows to be fed, but these apostles, they were stretched too thin. Their their Greek probably wasn't very good. So which group of widows were more likely to fall through the cracks when food was being given out? It was the Hellenistic widows. Now, if you had been a part of that group of outsiders... Do you think you would have been upset when you saw this uh, lack of fairness? I'm guessing you probably would. So in these very early days, as the church is trying to live out the example of Jesus, humility and love and unity and servanthood, you already have these two groups breaking into factions. And this could turn into a major division if they don't figure it out. So what do the apostles do? Let's read on. Verse 2. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit of wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Now, let's be careful how we interpret these verses. The apostles decided to recruit some servants who would oversee this benevolence program and make sure it's done well and fairly. And they said, we're not going to wait on tables anymore. That would not be right for us to do that. But what's the motivation of the apostles here? Are they saying this kind of work was beneath them? Are they saying, we're too important to do this kind of thing? Is that what this was about? Of course not. They had been trying to do too much, and and feeding widows was one of the many jobs that needed to be done. This work was not beneath them. They knew that. They just needed to establish a system to get more people serving so that more work could get done. See, this is an important principle of serving within the church. In God's kingdom, no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. The goal is to get the church functioning like a body. 
where every member has a purpose and a function. Every member is making an important contribution to the overall mission of the church. You know, when I look at all the important work that needs to be done around here at Plum Creek, it gets overwhelming. Uh, Think about uh, how many people are required just for what we do here on Sunday mornings. During the week, we have volunteers who cut the grass and take care of the flower beds and create this good impression for everyone who drives onto the property to come to worship. Then you've got the greeters and the team that prepares communion, the team that serves communion. There's the prayer team and the folks who serve with our kids' ministry and our student ministry. You've got members of the worship team who rehearse for hours during the week. That's the vocalist and the instrumentalist, but also the sound technician and the folks up in the video booth. I could go on and on and on. And I'm grateful for everyone who serves at our church, not just related to the Sunday morning service, but also with our life groups and our student ministry, our elders, our deacons. Those who work in outreach programs and other ministries, man, can you imagine if the ministers on staff here tried to do all of that? Things would break down pretty quickly. So at Plum Creek, we're trying to follow the pattern of Acts chapter 6, where the leadership found reliable servants to get involved in ministry, which then allowed those leaders to focus on what God had called them to do. As you read on in this chapter, we learn that the problem was solved. And then the word of God spread and the church continued to grow. The more people they got serving, the more they removed barriers that held the church back. So in a very real way, servants paved the way for more people to come to Christ. And that story was not supposed to be an isolated incident. That example was God's plan for the church to follow into the future. We know this because Ephesians chapter 4 explains it in detail. Check this out, Ephesians 4.11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, so leaders of the church, Christ appointed them to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So what do do these verses tell us about the function of leaders in the church? Should leaders be doing the work of ministry while everyone else watches? In some churches, that's exactly how it works, but that's not the pattern here. What does it say? Leaders should equip God's people for works of service. And why? so that the body of Christ may be built up. That's the way for Plum Creek to reach our potential. We can't operate with this faulty system where where you have a small group of ministers and a large group of spectators. We've got to follow the New Testament pattern where every follower of Christ is a minister. Did you get that? Every follower of Christ is a minister. None of us can do everything. But everyone can do something. So it may be that this is your next step. God may be calling you to serve in a new area of ministry. But I want you to know something. This is not all on you. I'm aware that the leaders of this church play a significant role in whether or not this happens. Just like in Acts chapter 6, we need to develop systems to help everyone get serving. 
Because just like in chapter 6, we can prevent people from serving if we're not careful. Earlier this week, I was having breakfast with our five-year-old daughter, Leah Clear. She was enjoying a bowl of Nutty Nuggets, which is the Kroger brand version of Grape Nuts. And I'm sure most of you know that's the cereal that's kind of like gravel until you pour milk on it and let it set for a while. Anyway, Nutty Nuggets are kind of a staple around our house. But on this particular morning, we had a little problem because Leah Claire decided to pour her own cereal. And she made quite the mess down at her end of the table. When I looked down there, you would have thought a nutty nugget bomb had just exploded. So I had a decision to make. I could step in and clean up the mess, and I knew I could do that very quickly. But I also had another option. I could take the time to teach Leah Claire how to clean up her own mess. And I chose that slower option because it's my responsibility to equip her for works of service in the context of our family. So Hannah and I want to empower our kids to contribute to our family, help us do what we need to do as a group. And you know what's cool about that? When Leah Claire finished the job, she had this sense of accomplishment. And I could celebrate the way she helped our family. So let me just say, as the senior minister of Plum Creek, if we ever make it hard for you to find your place serving in the church, first, I want to apologize. That's on us. But I also want to go on record and say that we want to work with you to solve that problem. If you're struggling to get connected to some kind of meaningful ministry, let us know. All of the ministers, our email addresses are on the back of the bulletin. We would love to hear from you and, and kind of help you work through that. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to get connected in ministry, serving in an area where you can use your gifts and help us accomplish our mission of leading people to a life-changing connection with Jesus. So I mentioned earlier that we would take a very practical approach to this topic, and this is where we do that. I know that we have people here at Plum Creek who are already serving and doing what God has called you to do. But then we have others who uh, could take a next step right now. Maybe you used to volunteer and you stopped for whatever reason. Or, or maybe you never served here. But if it's time for you to get plugged in, you've got to have a place to start. And in many cases, you start with a baby step. You just put your toe in the water and then you see where God leads you from there. In your bulletin this morning, we have an insert and it has lots of volunteer opportunities in several different categories of ministry. You can go ahead and pull that out if you haven't already. And what these opportunities have in common is that they're all great first steps. You don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops to volunteer. With most of these, you could sign up and start helping almost right away. But when I say that these are first steps, I don't mean that these roles are insignificant. These are all ministries that are directly connected to our mission. For example, look at these opportunities under the heading of Discover. That's about our, our Discover lunch. And, and many of you know that Discover happens several times a year. It's for people who are new to Plum Creek. It's a chance to meet a couple of ministers and get some questions answered. It's a chance to learn about who we are as a church and how to get connected here. I've started to really look forward to these Discover lunches 
Because I love to meet people and hear their stories. And I love to see how Discover can be a place where people take a big step forward. At that lunch, I've seen people make the decision to drop anchor at Plum Creek and become a member of this church family. I've also seen people commit their lives to Christ right there on the spot. It's one of those environments where we get to see folks taking their next step. But if you look at the volunteer needs here, they're pretty simple. One is preparing meals for for Discover, and the other is uh, helping take care of kids. And by the way, you would need to uh, go through a background check to do that one. These serving opportunities, they're not complicated. But can you see how they make a real difference? When we serve a, a home-cooked meal to our guests and, instead of just handing out lukewarm pizza, man, that sends a message that we really care about them and we want them to feel welcome here. And when we have caring adults who are watching over the children and having fun with them, that allows the adults to focus on what they need to learn. and That creates this environment where we've seen God work. And do you see the time commitment for these roles? We're talking six times a year. It doesn't take much time to make a big difference. And that's true with a lot of these roles. You can look through both both sides of this sheet. Something is the right fit for anyone. As we come to a close here, I want all of us to ask a couple of questions. First, let's ask, have I taken on the identity of a servant? Not do I serve now and then, but has the role of a servant become part of who I am, wherever I happen to be? For the next question, let's think specifically about your role here at Plum Creek. Let's ask, am I currently serving where I'm called to serve, or is God leading me to take a next step? Now, if you know that God is leading you, I encourage you to look through this list of opportunities. See if one of these roles matches your gifts, lines up with your area of passion. And I encourage you to do more than just think about this. Before you leave today, as God leads you, check off one of these boxes. Check off the the box on the bottom of this page here. And this paper is perforated. So you can tear that off and drop it in one of the baskets at either exit on your way out. We also have a basket at the Connection Center in the gathering area. And just so you know, this is, this is not going to lock you into anything. There's no obligation here. You're just saying, I want to learn more. I want to see if this is where God is leading me. It's been exciting to see over the years different people getting involved in ministry and finding fulfillment there as God uses them to make a real difference. I've seen that, and I've seen how God's kingdom has benefited because of so many people serving. But I also know, as even more get involved and more serve here, God will do even more amazing things through Plum Creek. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for the example of Jesus Help us to always remember how stunning that example is, that Jesus didn't have to come and serve. He could have come to be served. That would have been entirely appropriate. But we have this example of of humble servanthood. Help us, Lord, to live that out. 
to take it on as an identity, not just an occasional activity. And Lord, I pray that you will help us with whatever next step we need to take, because Lord, we need you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.